Many of you know that two years ago, Mike Morris and I made a covenant with one another to make a life together and to accompany Mike's wife, Carol, on her long day's journey into the night of Alzheimer's disease. This morning I want to share some of that journey with you. There are many behaviors that are typical of Alzheimer's patients. Even so, every Alzheimer's case is different, and so it is with Carol. She has always been a very quiet, gentle spirit, and she has remained so throughout this time of gradual decline. She materializes out of the shadows like the voice, like the ghost of Christmas past, and stands for hours looking out the door or standing by the sofa. Are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me? asked Scrooge. I am. The voice was soft and gentle, singularly low, as if instead of being so close beside him, it were at a distance. Who and what are you? Scrooge demanded. I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. I've known Mike and Carol for nearly 35 years. As I helped Mike pack up a lifetime of things, along with clothing, books, antiques, I found art supplies, inks, pens, brushes, whole years' worth of craft magazines, and boxes of handmade Christmas ornaments, along with tiny teddy bears, ribbons, candles, bells, the remnants of a Christmas bazaar that Carol and her best friend put together back in the 1980s as a fundraiser for the United Church in downtown Washington, where Mike was the pastor. Carol loved Christmas, from the Advent wreath to Epiphany. They always left the tree up at least until Mike's birthday at the end of January, and sometimes longer. She sits in her chair at the table and moves her hands over the arms of the chair, exploring the texture of the wood, deciding by feel where she is in her limited world. And she reaches out to the table, fingers groping toward the glass of fortified breakfast drink. She seems distracted by the light refracted in a paperweight that is placed within a few inches of the drink. I get up and offer the glass. Do you want to take a drink? She murmurs something, thanks, yes, and takes a drink. What does she think about me? It is impossible to know. All I can do is projection. She refers to me and to Mike as that one and the other one. And sometimes when one or the other of us is away, she wants to know, where is it? How did we figure out that she means a personal pronoun, that she's talking about us? We made it up. It is part of the process of our need to be in relationship. Maybe when she says that, where is it? She's off in another dimension and is looking for something. We can't know. But for our own well-being, we must assume that she misses us when we are not there. So much of the literature about Alzheimer's emphasizes the loss of dignity that this dementia causes. The person is denied autonomy. 
Carol once said, everyone has a say but me. That was in the early days when she still could articulate something about her own condition. But in these late days, she has no say at all about taking antipsychotic tranquilizers or sedatives that keep her from the seemingly random and meaningless, restless wandering around the house, the obsessive folding and refolding of anything pliable enough to fold, from clothing to napkins, placemats, magazines, books. The medications keep her calm so that she doesn't succumb to the heavy huffing and puffing breathing that I associate with anxiety attacks. She no longer has any control over bowels and bladder so that if we are to truly keep her in some semblance of human dignity, we have to haul her into the bathroom and change the diaper and clean her up. And this process is definitely not what she wants. She fights us every step of the way into the bathroom. She grabs whatever she can to keep us from propelling her along the hallway. Once in the bathroom, she grabs the sink and pulls it off the pedestal. The strength of a brain on adrenaline is amazing. But to not engage the fight is inhumane. And here I would digress for a moment and raise the issue. To not engage the fight is inhumane, and not only on this very intimate, personal level. When we first meet Ebenezer Scrooge, he's making his way homeward from the stock exchange. He's stopped in the street by two gentlemen who are raising money to help the poor at Christmas. Many thousands are in want of necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts, sir, the gentlemen explain. What, are there no prisons? Scrooge asked. Plenty of prisons, said the gentleman. And the union workhouses, demanded Scrooge. Are they still in operation? They are. Still, returned the gentleman. I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigor then, said Scrooge. Both very busy, sir. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. They cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there, says Scrooge. Many can go there, and many would rather die. If they would rather die, said Scrooge, they had better do it and decrease the surplus population. The second spirit in Charles Dickens' tale is the ghost of Christmas present. After scenes of celebration, the spirit shows Scrooge that all is not well for everyone. Beneath his cloak are hidden two sad, emaciated children. Spirit, are they yours? Scrooge could say no more. They are man's said the spirit, looking down upon them. And they cling to me, appealing from their fathers. This boy is ignorance. This girl is want. Beware them both and all of their degree, but most of all, beware this boy, ignorance. For on his brow, I see that written which is doom, unless the writing be erased. Deny it cried the spirit, stretching out its hand towards the city. Slander those who tell it you. Admit it for your factious purposes and make it worse and bide the end. Have they no refuge or recourse? cried Scrooge. 
Are there no prisons? said the spirit, turning on him for the last time with his own words. Are there no workhouses? The bell struck twelve. There is no assistance for Alzheimer's patients in the early stages of the disease unless the person has something else wrong with them, such as heart disease, stroke, or diabetes. Only those who can afford the hundreds of thousands of dollars for nursing home care or specialized in-home care can get any relief at all. Most health insurance plans do not cover long-term custodial care. Only at the end stage, where we are now with Carol, is hospice care available and paid for 100% by Medicare. As time has gone on, Mike and I have come to understand murder-suicide as the only recourse for many caregivers. There are worse things than death. If we do not engage the fight at a collective level, at a social, moral, ethical necessity, we are forced to engage personally. To not engage is inhumane. Charles Dickens pours on the guilt. The air was filled with phantoms, wandering hither and thither in restless haste and moaning as they went. Every one of them wore chains like Marley's ghost. Some few were linked together. None were free. They might be guilty governments, says Dickens in a parenthetical comment. Many had been personally known to Scrooge in their lives. He had been quite familiar with one old ghost in a white waistcoat with a monstrous iron safe attached to its ankle who cried piteously at being unable to assist a wretched woman with an infant whom it saw below upon a doorstep. The misery with them all was clearly that they sought to interfere for good in human matters and had lost the power forever. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells a story about a friend who comes in the night and asks his neighbor for bread so that he can offer food to unexpected guests who have just arrived. Jesus suggests that the neighbor will not get up and help his friend just because he is a friend. The neighbor will get up in the middle of the night and provide bread and whatever else the friend needs because he asked. Once asked, The neighbor was obliged to give. That was the code of hospitality. The survival of human society depended upon it. In Celtic spirituality, there is a concept called anamkara, or soul friend. This is the soul friend who accompanies us on our personal spiritual journey, who is a spiritual mentor and guide. This is not the romantic Western New Age idea of a soul mate for whom we have been searching through multiple lifetimes and whom we eventually find and marry. Probably the best analogy of soul friend or anamkara for non-Celts in the United States is a spiritual director. But the role of soul friend is more profound in terms of relationship than that. Anamkara Soul friendship is radical hospitality, and it means the role of caregiver and care receiver are like pitchers of water pouring into one another 
at a soul level. Many of us find ourselves in a time of life when we care for others, spouses, parents, friends who are ill and dying. Those of us who are caregivers can be soul companions who evoke the soul response of the care receiver. In his book, Anamkara, John O'Donohue writes, When you love, you open your life to an other. Your presence in life can become this person's ground. It takes great courage to let someone so near. You let the person become part of you. In the Celtic tradition, the ritual of encounter is framed at the beginning and at the end with a blessing. God be with you. God keep you. There is explicit recognition that the divine is present in others. This presence is embodied in old sayings such as, the hand of the stranger is the hand of God. The stranger does not come accidentally. He brings a particular gift and illumination. Anamkara goes beyond individual relationship and becomes a way of living our lives from the point of view of hospitality. St. Bridget, the legendary abbess of Kildare in Ireland, said, A person without a soul friend is like a body without a head. The radical hospitality of the caregiver defines the dignity and humanity of the receiver of care, whether that care is welcomed or not. I close with a prologue from John O'Donohue's book, Anamkara. On the day when the weight deadens on your shoulders and you stumble, may the clay dance to balance you. And when your eyes freeze behind the gray window and the ghost of loss gets into you, may a flock of colors, indigo, red, green, and azure blue, come to awaken in you a meadow of delight. When the canvas frays in the curac of thought, and a stain of ocean blackens beneath you, may there come across the waters a path of yellow moonlight to bring you safely home. May the nourishment of the earth be yours. May the clarity of light be yours. May the fluency of the ocean be yours. May the protection of the ancestors be yours. And so may a slow wind work these words of love around you, an invisible cloak to mind your life.